0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Rob. In case you do not know me, I am the senior pastor here at church, and I have the privilege of opening up the Word of God with you this morning, the, the Word that has had such a transformative effect on Lillian's family, Kim's family, Christie's, and, God willing, Layton's life as well. So, if you would, let's open our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, we will have the scriptures on the screen for you. We're going to pick up at verse 1, and I'll be reading all the way through verse 17. Here's the word of the Lord. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a life A godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, as we enter into your word this morning, uh, we do take Paul's words seriously that all scripture is God-breathed. I believe that this Bible is transformative. Every Sunday when we come here and We sit under the Word every morning when we open it and read. There is an encounter that can be had with the living God, you. And uh, I pray for that transformation, that, that work of the Word to take place this morning. Lord, I know that we all come in with different stories. Some of us have had the Bible in our life for a long time. Others maybe have walked away for some time. Others, this may be the first time they're even interacting with it. But I believe that this Bible is transformative for all. So it's with that in mind, it's with that faith in mind that we look to it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we're thinking about our passage this morning, I want you to think about this dynamic. Imagine that you have a child raised in a home and that child is, you know, sheltered, if you will. They're never taught about the dangers of the world. The child grows up into adulthood, and they go out into the real world. How would it go for that child? Well, I want to suggest to you that it probably would not go well for them. I mean, just imagine, for example, putting a 16-year-old into a car and saying, all right, go get on that uh, the highway out there and just figure it out. You'll be fine. Now, I think that's Parental malpractice, if you're just, you know, if I'm just gonna be honest. In fact, as a parent, you you come to realize that sometimes you just have to have chats with the child about the cold, hard facts of life. That's what my dad did for me when I was first getting into my car. You see, I'd been through driver's ed class, I'd had all that idealism about how people are supposed to drive when they're on the road. But then my dad just kind of did one of these. He pulled me aside, and he was like, hey, Robbie, come here, son. All right, Dad, what do you got? Listen, I want you to think about the dumbest thing that someone could possibly do on the road. I mean, the stupidest thing you can imagine. And then I want you to be convinced that when you're driving today, someone out there is going to do it. I got to tell you that little tidbit there stuck with me, and I think it's probably saved my life a time or two. Because I grew up in Chicago, and when I was driving on Lakeshore Drive to get into the city of Chicago, his prophecy was fulfilled in every way. All of that starry-eyed idealism that I had in driver's ed class was shattered right then and there in the moment. It was seriously Sir of the fittest on the road. Now, As a parent, I want to kind of, I I want to pass that same kind of wisdom onto my kids. Yes, I want to provide them a safe and nurturing environment. But at the same time, I know that there's dangers in the world. There's a truly wrong place that you can be at the wrong time. And if my child's not aware of that, that could go poorly for them. But I don't just want them to know these things. I want them to learn how to become wise navigators. You see, wise navigators don't just know things are dangerous, but they know how to steer around the dangerous things. So then you start talking to your kids, real wisdom. You know, son, I want you to trust people, but I sometimes want you to verify There are people who will be friends to you, and then there are people who will say they're your friend, but they really just want something from you. Son, you need to realize that there is things that are timelessly true, and there are also phony philosophies that are a philosophy du jour. Everyone's excited about it, but it's not timeless. It's not true. Well, this is the kind of conversation that Paul's having with his uh, protege, Timothy, this morning. He's talking about the cold, hard realities of navigating life as a Christian leader. So just like the conversation my dad had with me, just like some of you parents have had with your children or maybe a younger sibling or someone that you were seeking to influence Timothy's going, or Paul's going to say to Timothy, look, if you follow this wisdom that I'm saying to you, you will follow Christ well. But if you close your ears to it, you might make a wreck of your faith. It's three pieces of wisdom. The first piece of wisdom, simply put, is stay away from the phonies. If you look at the first five verses, let's just kind of take a look at that together and analyze it. Well, notice that Paul begins this message by describing a group of people who are living during the end times. If you look there, it says, in the last days there will come difficulties. And then he starts describing how people will be in these times. He says, there will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now, what you have here with these people during the end times are people who have completely turned the two greatest commandments. You remember those, right? Love God and love others. They've turned those commandments upside down. Look at the five ways that they've polluted or distorted love. First, you notice that these people are lovers of self. Instead of loving God, instead of loving others, they're primarily most concerned with loving themselves. Secondly, it says that they're lovers of money, which I want to suggest to you is just another way of loving yourself. Uh, one of the reasons that we value generosity here at Osterville, one of the reasons we think it's very important to be givers instead of constantly just holding on to our money and, and making it all about ourselves is because Jesus said very clearly, didn't he, where your treasure is, there your what heart is also. So when I'm generous, I'm not making my money all about me. I'm making it about God's mission. Thirdly, it says that they will not love what is good. Fourthly, rather, they will only love what is pleasurable. And then fifth, this results in no real love for God. Now, why would Paul have a conversation with Timothy about a certain group of people who he's never going to meet. He's not going to be living in these end times. Well, I think the reason he does this is this end times society is the epitome of godless society. So now you can take that information, right, and, and you can now be discerning within your relationships. If you see a person who has their loves all twisted then it gives you an idea as to whether or not that person is real or fake. So Paul's saying to Timothy, basically, if you notice these qualities or these characteristics in a person who's standing up and saying, I'm a leader, I'm a thought leader, I want to be a moral example, he has one clear piece of direction in verse 5 for Timothy. He says, avoid such people. You got that? Avoid them. Stay away. But isn't that a bit harsh? I mean, can you really know someone's motives? Can you discern a person's heart? Well, the Bible says to that question, absolutely. Yes, you can. You can discern between genuine and fake by observing key behaviors and attitudes. It goes with that ancient wisdom that we've heard so many times. If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it has feathers like a duck, if it likes to associate with other ducks, then guess what? It's a duck. And even if the duck says that it's a German shepherd, it's not a German shepherd it's a duck now here's why it's important to know this you will become like what you follow you will become like what you follow you will be greatly influenced by the teachers you listen to yes the music that you consume the media you consume the books you read That's that kind of dad conversation, right? Paul's having a dad conversation. Just like when my dad said, sometimes the rules of the road break down. Paul's saying, don't go through life like a sponge. We all know how sponges work. You get a sponge and you're walking around with it. If you drop the sponge in the dirt, then it picks up all the dirt and the germs in the dirt. If you drop the sponge in the soapy clean water, then the sponge will be clean and purified. Here's the thing, here's the truth about our minds. An unguarded mind will produce an unguided heart. So here's the question Who are you allowing to influence your sponge? Who? Wise navigators understand that the danger is real. Paul gives us a very specific example of this in verses 6 and 7. He says that, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, he's not in these verses looking to be derogatory towards women in general. That's, some people have accused him of that. That is not the case. But what was happening in this time period was many women were uneducated. And so there were plenty of philosophers, teachers, phony teachers out there who would prey upon that. That's what phony people do. Phony teachers, they look for people that they view as weak, as influenceable, And very specifically in this text, he says they were loaded down with guilt. They felt some sense of shame. And so what did these people do? They capitalized upon that. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of people out there that that do that type of work. And it's always financially motivated. They want control. And it's all about themselves. It's not about Christ. It's not about loving others. Why do these teachers pose such a threat to you, though? Well, it's because people are naturally followers. You're naturally a follower. I'm naturally a follower. I can prove this to you. I think it's true of life. Imagine, or remember the time when you were a child. How did you go about learning and discerning your world? Well, what I did is I followed daddy around the house, and I watched everything he did. If he had a tool belt around his waist, then I had something around my waist to pretend like I had a tool belt around my waist. And it's something that as a father, I'm becoming keenly aware of. As my kids are watching me, I'm noticing that if I do something that is a good behavior, I watch them do good behaviors. And if I do something that's a bad behavior, I watch them engage in bad behaviors. Now, I don't think that's just true of children. I have conversations with adults all the time, and in those conversations, They're describing their heroes, their influencers, people who have made a difference in their life. Ultimately, though, as a child of God, I also know from the Bible that you were created to be a follower of Jesus. So here's my point. You're always going to be following someone. So the question is, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? You can blindly follow, you can foolishly follow people who have their loves all messed up, or you can choose to follow someone who is closely following after Jesus. Who are you going to follow? Well, Paul knew this. And so through the scriptures, he would regularly put himself forward as a model. He'd say, follow my example. And here once again, in verses 10 and 11, he tells Timothy to keep following his example. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, he's not being conceited as he tells Timothy to follow his example. It's not some false sense of self confidence. No, what Paul draws his confidence from is this he knows that it's good for others to follow him because he is closely following Jesus. If you wish to be an influencer or someone who leads others for positive impact for Christ, you can be confident in your example. This is what I think the Bible's telling us here. If you are closely following Jesus. And that's transferable. Uh, you, you're worthy to be followed in your home. You're worthy to be followed at work in the local church. You know that Anytime you're following after Jesus, you're never going to lead someone else astray if they look up to you as an example. It's going to be all about God and God's glory. It's not going to be all about you. You see, here's the point. If you're following Jesus closely, you can be confident in your leadership example. Now, let's move from that perspective and put ourselves in Timothy's shoes for a minute. You see, verses 10 and 11 will also help us as we are looking for mentors, for Paul-like figures. And as I look at the scriptures, I've come to realize that every Christian should have a Paul in their life. All of us. We all need someone who challenges us, encourages us, roots for us, constantly points our direction to God, is even willing to say the hard things when it's necessary. So what kind of person am I looking for? Well, look at these characteristics and we can see four crucial principles about what Paul's look like. First, strong mentors are sound in the word of God. He says, follow my teaching and my conduct. That's what it means to be sound in God's word. You're not sounding God's word if you know the Bible really, really, really well, but you don't do what it says. Our orthodoxy must be consistent with our orthopraxy. Here's another principle. Strong mentors live with purpose. Timothy, look at how I've directed my life. Look at my pursuits. See the purpose that I've lived for. I recently saw a Peanuts cartoon with Snoopy and Linus that uh, showed Snoopy uh, coming to terms with purposelessness. They were playing fetch out in the backyard, and Linus was throwing the stick, and one time he took the stick and he threw it super far, and Snoopy did what dogs do. He got really excited, and he was ready to go run after the stick. But then, just for a moment, he started pausing and thinking about it, and he decided that he no longer wished to chase sticks anymore his thought was this i want people to have more to say about me after i'm gone than he was a nice guy he chased sticks now listen that's the kind of people that we need to encourage us challenge us right we're constantly chasing sticks There's the new, latest, and greatest thing. We're running after it. We're so excited about it. The people that I'm interested in are the ones that have said, you know what, I'm done chasing sticks. I'm pursuing things of purpose. Paul never merely chased sticks. Another principle, strong mentors lead virtuous lives. Notice the various virtues in his list. Faith Patience, love, steadfastness. You need someone in your life who lives with high standards, who loves well, who trusts God with their big situations, who waits on the Lord, who remains faithful no matter the cost. I have to tell you, my standards have changed over the years because I've watched others lead virtuous lives. And I've said, I need that. Which leads to the last point. We also need strong mentors who are willing to suffer for what they believe. Can I ask you a question? Why do we get so enamored with people who brag about belief systems, right? Whether it's the late night political pundit talking about their views or that social media influencer that's out there they're they're just going on they're passionate they're 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 really getting our energy up as they're talking about their thing but why do we get so enamored with these people whose belief system has literally cost them nothing nothing in fact if you look at what it has cost them it's all been in the positive end of the spectrum, right? They're making money off of it. If they have anything, they're getting people subscribing to their YouTube channel, getting likes. It's all popularity for them. No, what I've come to realize is that to suffer for something, you have to be convinced that it's absolutely true. So if a person hasn't suffered for their belief system, then I can't know for certain whether or not they actually believe that it's true. In fact, we're watching a lot of people who claim that they believe something and then the second the you know, popularity on that issue or this issue changes, then all of a sudden they're like, I don't think that anymore. I'm, I'm with that other philosophy now. Really? Paul was convinced He mentions three towns, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra in verse 11. These were towns where he suffered in his first missionary journey. So Timothy was going along with him, and at this young and impressionable age, he watched Paul bear the marks of his commitment upon his body. If you want to read about that, you can look at Acts chapter 13 and 14. That's where those stories are. Don't follow someone who is unwilling to suffer for their belief system. I had a conversation with a pastor, and he told me a story that has stuck with me over the years. Just after the Berlin Wall fell, he was permitted to go into the country of Russia, and um, he was able to start teaching Bible study to pastors, uh, whether it was a book of the Bible or systematic theology or whatever. Now, these pastors, they were comprised of older pastors, younger pastors, and they were just really eager to learn because they had lived under a system where they just didn't have access to good books, and they wanted to know more about the scriptures. So they were studying through the book of Romans, and anytime time they came to one of those difficult passages that really make you scratch your head, and the pastors would go around the room and start getting stumped, they, they would pause when they truly got stumped, and then they would direct their attention to two men in the room. Oh, this pastor kind of thought that it was an odd dynamic. He was looking at these guys, and he just couldn't discern anything distinguishable about them that made the entire room turn to these two guys. So during one of the breaks, he, he pulled aside one of the younger men, and he said, why do these pastors in this room keep turning to these two. I mean, are they just the oldest in the room and I just don't know something? Are they the wisest? Why are you looking to these guys? And the young pastor said, no, that's not it at all. We look to them because these two men were imprisoned and tortured for the cause of Christ and they endured. They remained true They have suffered the most for Jesus, so for us, their words matter the most. Again, why would we follow someone whose Christianity has cost them nothing or any other belief system? You know that if you follow Jesus, it will cost you something? Paul says in verses 12 and 13, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. William Barclay, commentator, once said it like this, If anyone proposes to introduce into his life a loyalty which surpasses all earthly loyalties, then there are bound to be clashes and collisions. So if that's going to happen, a wise navigator wants to look to someone that knows how to navigate through the crashes and collisions. That's why we need a Paul-like figure. Well, let's move into our third piece of wisdom from here. We look at verse 13 and notice there that Paul says that there's going to be deceivers, meaning there's going to be people putting forward many confusing messages in this world. How do I make sense of that? Well, a wise navigator knows that they need a compass if they're living in a world like that. And the word of God is our compass. So Paul's final piece of advice is to continue in the word to Timothy. Look at verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Timothy had three great baton passers in his life. The first is he had a faithful mentor who was Paul. The second and third were from a faithful household. He had a mother and a grandmother who raised him in the Word. So, literally, Timothy, from the time he could remember, was acquainted with the Scriptures. I want to say this to parents today. The greatest gift that you can give your children is to raise them in the Word of God, to teach them the Scriptures. Don't advocate that responsibility. We live in an outsourcing society. We, we constantly kind of outsource our kids to things, whether it's in education or their musical instruments or their sports. This is the one place you do not want to abdicate or outsource in that responsibility. It's your primary responsibility to own this and to teach it to your kids. The church comes alongside as a partner to you, But it's you that the kids are taking their cues from, and what they believe you value the most, they're going to want to grow up and value that the most. That's why, here at this church, we believe in parents, we believe in you. I don't believe that I can organize a program that's going to be winsome enough to make your child want to walk for a lifetime with Jesus, but I believe that your influence can go a long way in accomplishing that. Now, that's not to say not to diminish the role of a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker, but mom and dad, you're the number one influence. Grandma and grandpa, You're really close in that influence pool, too. What you say goes a long way. So, if your child watches you treating treating the scriptures as a compass, then they're going to learn to treat it as a compass. Now, why should we have such a high view of these scriptures? Well, Paul calls them sacred writings. And Notice first that he says that they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what the primary point of the Bible is? The primary point of the Bible is to tell you about Jesus. He's the climax of the Bible. All of the Bible interprets who Jesus is. So again, if I want... To come to know how I can have eternal life and salvation, I have to go to the scriptures. And the scriptures, of course, are going to point me to Jesus. They're not going to tell me about how I can be a better person and you know, just add a couple more notches into my moral categories so that when I stand before God, I say, God, yes, I was basically good. No, the Bible is going to tell me, you desperately need Jesus. And he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the dead. And if you believe in him, if you believe that he died in your place and shed his blood for you, then you will be saved. The scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? Today you start a new relationship with God. He changes your trajectory and you become a child of God. What a promise. What a gift from the Scriptures. Notice what else the Scriptures tell us. If you look at verses 16 and 17, Paul tells us more. He says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So notice first in verse 16 the nature of what this Bible is. It says that it is inspired, and you hear that as you hear the Greek word, the transliteration of the Greek word, theonoustos, God breathed. God breathed. You see, as you hear me talking, my words are me breathed. When you talk, your words are, you breathed. And I love Siri, by the way. (laughs) I got to tell you, that thing goes off all the time on me. It's like constantly listening. It's creepy, isn't it? You know, Siri's like, hello. (laughs) No need to be sorry. It happens all the time. Um, But anyway, what happens when you talk your breath passes through your vocal cords and then you make vocalizations and you're able to communicate. So what Paul's telling us that scriptures God breathed is the reality that the pages of scriptures, it's as if the breath of God is upon them. Now, I don't understand that to mean that God sat there and he dictated to all the the writers of the scriptures. Now say this, now say this, now say this. But what did happen if you look at 2 Peter one twenty one, it was when these authors were writing scriptures, it was as if God was writing through them. In fact, let's look at that verse. For no prophecy of scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that phrase "carried along" envisions a, a sailboat that's out at sea, and that sailboat goes nowhere unless the wind comes and carries it along in the same way. I can write until I'm, you know, my hand's about to fall off. And there's nothing divine or inspired about that writing unless the Holy Spirit comes and carries that light writing along. Well, when you open up your Bible, you're reading the very words of God. There's no other book like this. That's why I need to not interpret this book with what culture's saying. I need to interpret what culture's saying with this book. As a believer, this book gets my priority. As a local church... We're, we're talking through this book week after week. We're going through this book and we're letting it talk to us. In fact, this book is eternally more relevant than that latest and greatest cultural hot-button issue that's happening right now that sometimes we're wondering, why aren't we just talking about this and, and pausing for a moment and talking about this? It's because this is more relevant than that. Paul also says it's useful. Useful for what? Teaching. Teaching reproof, correction, training in righteousness, it's also equipping, it helps us to do good work. So let me ask you a question. Why are you spending all that time in the self-help world? Some of that information is good. There's some wisdom there. I read it too. But ultimately, do you want to grow as a person? I think we all do. I think Americans spend billions of dollars trying to grow as a person. You have the book for that. Do you want to be a better father, a better mother? It's right here. Do you want to be the type of person that other people that you're working with and in your neighborhood they look at you and they say that person is genuine, that person has a virtuous life about them? You get that from this book. Sometimes I remember when I was holding my kids and I was thinking, what am I going to do here? I have no clue how I'm going to raise these kids. You become the kind of parent that God intended you to be by becoming more like what he tells us in this book. In every way, God has given us the scriptures to change our lives, it can change your relationships. It can change your viewpoint of the world. It can change your spiritual journey. It can change your emotional well-being. And ultimately, it's designed to change your eternity. But here's the truth. To truly get the benefits of this Bible, you must be convinced that it really is God's word. Because if you're only halfway convinced, the Bible is not transformative for you. It's only transformative if I believe that God said it, therefore I must believe it. I'm not going to fully apply it unless I believe it came from God. It makes me think of a story that I heard. Um, Dr. William Evans, he was one of the late preachers of the famed college church in Wheaton, Illinois. In fact, he preached there from 1903 to 1906. And in his retirement years, his son was pastoring a church in Hollywood, California. And so he came there while his son was away, and he delivered a very memorable sermon for that congregation. The topic that morning was the virgin birth. As he stood up, he turned the pages of the Bible to the narratives in Luke, and he just started ripping pages out of the scripture, tearing them to shreds and throwing them on the floor. And then he shouted to the congregation, well, if we don't believe that the virgin birth is true, then we might as well not have it in the Bible altogether. Everyone was shocked. And then he flips to the resurrection in the New Testament. He starts tearing it out of the Bible. And then he goes to every miracle passage and every passage that talks about anything supernatural. He starts just ripping it all out of the Bible. And everyone's looking at the ground with all this littered paper, mutilated scripture on the floor. And then he goes to the Sermon on the Mount and he says, well, this is all we got left. And here's the thing, if it wasn't preached by a divine Christ, then why should I even listen to what it says? And he rips it out of the Bible. Now mind you, this is just his introduction to the sermon. (laughs) So he bows his head and he says, let's pray. And at that moment, a gentleman in the back of the room and he stands up and he says, no, 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 we believe that's the word of God, keep preaching it. And then another person stood up, and another person stood up. And Dr. Evans says, now you're ready to hear what this book has to say. And he went on to preach for 50 minutes the word of God to the people. It's like that dad conversation that I had with my dad, only better. Either this is God-breathed or it isn't. This has the ability to change your life, or what are you doing here right now? It's either useful and equipping, or it's not. But if it is all of those things, then the converse question comes. If it is God breathed, if it is youthful, if it can dramatically change your life, what are you doing if you're not sitting under the Word of God? You're just chasing sticks? pursuing all the wrong things. So we sit under this. Let's bow our heads, ask God to help change our hearts through this word this morning. Father, I I do thank you for the holy scriptures. And, And my request this morning is very simple. It's for the one who's here today who is hearing this word and, and they're wrestling with this word and they're saying, how can I follow that? How can I make that a part of my life? I pray right now for that one, that you would give them a sense of clarity, that you are real, that you're genuine, and that you're here to walk with them in, in their life. I don't know who that is today, Lord, but you do. And so I pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen.